Lord is his name. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Verse 6 together. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Amen. Please have a seat. It's so good to worship with you all. And um, just wanted to, um, yeah, welcome especially our youth group who's here and uh, everyone who is here. But uh, I had a chance to commute to Irvine and back today and had a uh, wonderful time. God is um, really uh, moving and bringing a lot of people over there. And so it looks like a different church. If you haven't gone down in a while, uh, I want to encourage you to do that. And on Easter Sunday, everyone will be coming here. Um, so it'll be a fantastic time. So we look forward to that and ask you to pray for that, if you would. Um, and I want to talk to you today about the power of a song, the power of singing, right? We love it. Um, it, it enhances the things that we do. Um, if you're having a nice dinner and there's someone playing some music, live music, it just enhances the dinner, doesn't it? Um, if you're driving down the coast on a, and seeing a beautiful sunset, playing the right music just makes that, that much better. Right? And so it, it has those effects. Uh, hearing the right songs sometimes take us back to when we were 15 and reminds us of uh, those times. Uh, and it, it has that. You know, unfortunately, in our, our culture today, we don't sing together often. There are, you see other cultures, other parts of the world, Europe and Asia, people will sing in a community often, and it will remind them of who they are, and they will sing. You'll see them at soccer games, and they're singing, and, um, and it brings them together. You know, the only time, and it's kind of sad, outside of the church, the only time that there's actual singing is at the baseball game, at the seventh inning stretch, and people sing that like it is, you know, the gospel message. I mean, they're singing about, uh, and it's, you know, uh, Cracker Jacks, and this, you know, and they're just singing like, and... Uh, but it, it, there is a power in that. Uh, you see, with moms with newborns, they will, uh, a newborn that's in discomfort, maybe sick, a mom will take the newborn and hug and start humming along. And you see the baby, you can see the, the power of the song there. Uh, you see, therapists today use music to help people in various ways, to remember things, to uh, help them with um, their cognitive issues. There's power in music. And we have to remember this. It, uh, music gives us courage. The songs that we sing, it gives us morale. It gives us unity if we could sing this together. Um, you know, it's interesting. During the Civil War, uh, and some of you have watched this on reenactments or, or, or movies or whatnot, and you would see people as they would go to war, uh, the North and the South, what was a big part of the troops were the mus musicians, so the bugle and the drums, and they would almost lead them into war. And it was this kind of scene where you could tell that they become more courageous and stronger as they are listening to the music. Um, some of the commentaries on that will talk about how uh, it gives them more courage. It releases, so they would sing as they would come back to camp, and it would release all the tension that they had. Uh, it would take care of homesickness. Uh, it would help them in so many ways. So as they would go and sing and do these things, it, it not only was something to just to do on pastime, but it had visible effects. One instance, 
Samuel P. Heitzenman was a commander of the Third Corps of the Northern Army. And during the battle at the Battle of Williamsburg, one of the things that he said is they were losing. Um, he put his musicians out and he told them, the command he told them is play anything, play anything and play it loud. And what he said was, as they played, and I quote him, uh, the, what it said about him is that the Confederate, the, the Southern Army withdrew, and he said that the music was equivalent to a thousand men on one side as they were playing this. And so even nights before that, uh, these armies would go to battle the nights before as they would have rules of engagement. The camps over there, this camp's here, and the, the musicians would play, and they would play music almost against each other to almost tell them, hey, we're ready, we're strong, we're better than you, and they would go back and forth. And music has this kind of power. We sing at church. There are, think of this, there's billions of people today who have gone to church. There are millions in America who have gone to church today, and they were singing songs about God. It would be fantastic if we could sing all together in one place. But they're singing, and just even on our scale. You know, I just got back from our Irvine service, and we sang the same song, Lord, I Need You. And over there, there was a, you know, a good group of people singing the same song uh, to God. And so it brings us together in so many ways. And today I want to share with you about why you should sing um, and what you should be singing about. Really, three reasons why you, you ought to sing in our text today. You know, things of what God has done in the past. Um, second part is who God is, the characteristics of God, the attributes of God should lead us into singing. And third part is what God has already done for us in the future. For us, it's still coming up, but from God's perspective, it's already done. And so I want us to remember that and to sing, remembering what he has done, sing for who he is and sing for what will happen for us that God has already done. It's interesting, you know, this passage here in Exodus 15, it comes right after they had crossed the Red Sea. And the Egyptians who were on their tail about to attack and kill them are wiped out by the Red Sea. The Red Sea is opened up. The uh, Israelites cross. They find salvation going through the water. They look back, and then the enemy is wiped out. The death, the fear, um, the heartache, all of those things that, represent, that was represented by the Egyptians are wiped out. And now they're standing there in chapter 15. So chapter 14 gives us this account of what happened. Chapter 15 is the song. In the Bible, it's often when God intervenes, it tells us what happened. Uh, for example, in Judges 5, and when Deborah uh, wins the battle against Sisera in chapter 4, in Judges 5 is her song. When Hannah gives birth to Samuel in 1 Samuel 2, in Samuel 1, 1 Samuel 1, it shows how he, you know, she had given birth, and there's a song, and Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 and so forth. And there are songs that are mentioned throughout the Bible that highlight now the reaction of what had happened. And whether it's Moses, Deborah, or Mary singing these songs, it talks about what God has done, who he is, and what he will do uh, as we're going to see today. Um, number one, God is our strength. We ought, first of all, uh, to remember what he has done for us. Gratitude comes from remembering what someone has done for us. We ought to be grateful people. We ought to pause and give thanks. We ought to remember what he has done. When we gather here on Sundays, and if you've been in church for a long time, and even some of you guys in the youth group and high school, you've been doing church your whole life, and you say, well, it's, 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 it doesn't seem kind of redundant. Uh, what's the point of it? 
And some people go to church to learn something new, teach me something new. Like, I need to learn something new. Or some people go and say, I just need to be moved. You know, make me laugh, make me cry, something. Like, just move me in that way. Or some people go to donuts or whatever it is. You know, they go. Um, But really, why we gather at church, and all those things are okay. But the main reason we gather at church is to remember God. When we have communion every month at Crossway, it's to do this in remembrance of him. It's for us to pause in our present life. And to look back and to remember what he has done for us on the cross. And this is what they did. You can imagine they have literally crossed through the Red Sea. They're on dry land. They look back. They have witnessed the greatest miracle they've ever seen. The the water that was now opened up is closed upon them. And now they gather and they look back on that. They look back on the plagues that God had sent. And now they sing. This is a million plus people singing about what God has done. And they sing in this way. Verse uh, Exodus 15, um, I want to read in just verse 6, 7, and 8. This is a song. So it it talks about God's, you know, right hand, his his nostril. It talks about him in a poetic sense. And I want you to read this. uh, Listen to this. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Verse 8, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. We look back on what he has done, and we need to give thanks. We need to pause and give thanks. On this Lord's Day, we gather together as a church to gather and see loved ones and to do things and have community and all of that is important but ultimately we gather to remember and give thanks and we pause today and maybe you've been blessed enough to have parents and grandparents who are believers and you've been going to church for a long time don't let this ever get old but sing thinking back of the cross and may that be the song for the rest of your life as you think back on what he has done now the second reason we sing is for who he is. It's not just simply of what he has done for me, but it really is for who he is. Um, Verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? These rhetorical questions that are asked by Moses, who is like you, O Lord? The capital L-O-R-D, it's his proper name. Yahweh, who is like you? He's trying to distinguish God from all the other pagan gods, the Egyptian gods. And he's saying, who is like my Lord? And so in the Old Testament, when it's capital, it's his proper name. It's to say, let me point out who he is. He is different than the rest. And he points out that he is, as he is singing, he is singing about who God is, not just what he has done. He is holy. When you get to the book of Isaiah, the angels are singing back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then the other angels are singing these things. Why we study the Bible, uh, why we have theology classes and, and these things, is not just to get something practical out of it. It's not just to be get something useful. You know, we're in a generation, we want everything to be quick and useful. You know, show me a recipe, you know, online that's quick and useful. Show me how to, a hack that is quick and useful. But really, when we go to God and we study who God is, 
It is not about just the quick and useful. It's to learn about him. There's a lot of you who have taken the theology classes and Sunday. Sunday afternoon is a tough time, right? I mean, it's nap time across the country. And some of you, you know, serious, you know, um, good Christians, you know, you came out to class stuffing your face with pizza and you stayed awake through another hour. But you, you're learning about God. And that's why it is so important. Uh, think of this. I don't know how many of you are uh, letter writers. You like to write letters to your loved ones, you know, and um, some of you might. I know some of you are newlyweds, and some of you are uh, engaged, and some of you are not so newlyweds, but, you know, you, you, you look okay, so it's okay. Um, and you like to write letters. Right? I, like, I like receiving le- letters and writing letters. And so, you know, anniversary, you write a letter. You don't just simply write about the things they're useful for. Like, you don't say, dear, you know, I, I don't write a letter to my wife, dear Sharon. It's been amazing, you know, X amount of years being married to you. The way you make spaghetti is so good. You know, like, you, know, you, you fold my socks perfectly, put it away, um, and uh, you change my toothbrush for me before it's, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I, I don't just write the things, and she doesn't write back, oh, you know, you, the way you, you know, fill the tank up in my gas for my car is great, and, um, you know, you take out the trash sometimes, that's okay. You know, it's not just the things that we do for each other, but really people who love each other, what do they write? What do they write? You know, oh, you are this. I love you about this. People that are in love, they sit there and they talk about how wonderful, they talk about the attributes of the person. You ever see a couple in love? You ever see a wedding when they're sharing their vows or it's at the reception and they're talking openly and they're saying silly things like, you are the most beautiful woman in the world. They're like, how can you make that statement? You know, like there's um, half the world are women and there are maybe 3.5 billion women. How, how is she? And, and she says, oh no, you're the most handsome guy in the, in the world. And you're like, he's not even the most handsome guy in this room, right? And you're like, look at him. He's a C plus, you know, like he got lucky to marry you. But why is that? We talk about each other's attributes, characteristics when we love each other. You know, you read the song of songs and the beloved and the lover are talking to each other. The picture of the church loving the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, it's not just so much, this is what you did for me. It's a list of who they, what they are. Your hair looks like this and your face looks like this and it is like this. They cannot stop talking about the other person. Now, when we sing to God, We're also singing about God and knowledge. The words matter. What we say matters. Our understanding of God matters. We cannot go to God with bad theology and sing it to him. It's not who he is. And so we sing in this way. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness. Awesome in glorious deeds. Doing what? Who Who is this? There's no one who acts this way. There's no one who is powerful in this way. There's no one who is holy in this way. And so when we come to worship God, we think about who he is and we sing and we cherish the attributes of God. And thirdly, we sing for what he has done for us in the future. And I want you to hear that phrase clearly. What he has already completed for us in the future. It hasn't happened to us yet, but from God's perspective, it's already done. Our names are already written in the book of life. He has already now set aside a place for us. It's already done. So we thank God for all the things that he has done for us in the future. So from God's perspective, it's done. From my perspective, as I live in time, as each day goes on, everything is new. But from God's perspective, it is done.
chapter uh, 15, verse 17, right? You see this here, and uh, some of the commentaries point this out, you know, the, the use of the Hebrew of the future and what happened in the past, and it's kind of put next to each other, right? The first, you will bring them in, plant them on your own mountain. You will do this. It's something God will do in the future. But when you read the rest, O Lord, which you have made, it's already done, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. These things are already done, but from my perspective, it's still coming up. Now let's put this in our lives. Ten years from now, God has already set aside our lives. The sovereign God has said, this is how it's going to be. And ultimately, when we go and see him in heaven, he says, I have a place for you. But for us, we're, we're, we're journeying in life. We're getting used to this. When you think about Jesus Christ, the power of the cross, as he is now going ahead of us. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you, a place you will call home in my father's house, and we're heading that way. It's already done from his perspective. You can't lose it. You can't gain any more of it. Our salvation is already done. You think about the uh, Israelites for a moment. There's over a million Israelites, right? We learned last week. There's over a million. And they're gathered now in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. The enemies who were their biggest nightmare, God just took care of them. And they look back in awe, but now they're looking forward in life. They're like, what do we do now? You know, we all want so much to find security in life. That's the one thing I think as we become adults and we grow up, we're always looking for security. And we say things, something like, oh man, you know, you, you got this job, you're set. You know, that's like, so it's a good job, you're set for life. Or, oh man, you know, you're going to go to this school and you're kind of set, your future is set. But really, the, our ultimate security is God himself. Think of the Israelites. These people who, who maybe were, uh, maybe he was a goldsmith or a, you know, some kind of carpenter or maybe a farmer. All of a sudden, they're out of a career. How are they going to get security? How are they going to live? And God is guiding them. And they have no certainty of the future. They have no retirement saved up. And they're thinking, with holding their kids and their siblings and grandma, and they're going like, how are we going to get by? Where are we going to live? And they say, we have no security, but they keep looking at God. He is the security. And really, we are in no different of a boat than they are, that God is our ultimate security. Some cherish their health and their ability and their smarts and their money or whatever. Those things all come and they all go quickly. Your security, your ultimate security is not the education that you're going to get or that you have. Or No, your ultimate security is God himself. It's him. Our world keeps telling us, you know, if you can do this, boy, your life is set. You know, if you can get into that program, your life is set. If you can get into that one high school, your life, if you get accepted by a college, boy, your life is set. Now, that's just the beginning of, like, problems, right? If you could graduate, because then you got to apply for something. There's something else after that. you got to apply. If you can get into that program, if you can get this job, if you can, if you follow the Lord, he is your security, ultimately. And so we now sing. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, who has guided us and loved us, all the way till this point, we sing about and to him for what he has done. Jesus Christ, our beautiful Savior, as we sing about today, the wonderful, beautiful Savior, we sing about who he is. And then we sing about what is to come, what he will do, the future grace we will inherit, the adoption of us 
into his household. Coming to a completion. We look forward to that. And we sing. The one application today I want to share with all of you here is I want you to sing out loud. All right? Sing out loud to the Lord. Please, don't just sing at the Dodgers games, uh, that horrible, silly song, but sing out loud when you are here. Sing out loud to yourself when you are worshiping. Sing. No serious Christian cannot walk with God, can walk with God without singing. If you want to grow in your faith, you have to sing. It changes who you are. It affects you. John Wesley, the famous pastor and author of so many of these hymns, said this, Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. I love that for Sing lustily. Sing like you are infatuated, that you are in love. Sing. Sing with good courage. Be aware. You don't show up half dead, half asleep, going through the motions. Church is not a place to go and check out. Church is not a these people up here, they're up here because they sing well, okay? We'll just, I'll be honest, right? I mean, they, they sing better than, you know, most of us. So we're like, you go up there, you sing well, please sing. But they're not singing, David and Rebecca and Yvette and all these people, they're not singing for us to say, wow, they sing well. Um, that's nice. I mean, that's not the point. They're, they're up there singing to help us so we could actually catch the tune of the song and then we could sing together to God. Don't come in casually to just check it out. It's not a time to just be casual about this. Sing in this way. And wh- wherever you are, man, if you don't know a song, go buy something. Go download a song. Ask one of the worship. What was that song? What was the name of the song? Can I get that song? And learn and sing. And you might say, I don't sing that well. It's okay. Join the club. I sing loud. I don't sing that well, right? Um, and so over the years, those, the, the, the guys who have done sound, we have always had this tension because they're turning me down, and I'm like, turn me up, and... You know, and they're like, oh, man, it's hard to tell the pastor to, you know, to turn it down. I'm like, well, you know, hey, God's listening, right? They're like, yeah, but he doesn't need a mic. Let's turn you down. So there's this uh, tension. But they're really, they make me sound better than what I can do. But really, we sing in this way. You know, uh, Christmas, we have these little toddlers come up, messing up all the songs, dancing to their own thing. They're off tune, and we look at them, and we don't say, time out, time out, time out. Get off. That's horrible. No. The parents are delighted. I'm delighted. I love seeing the little ones coming up and just, just babbling and singing. And from God's perspective, when he sees us singing, he is not a judge on American Idol saying, oh, well, you're like this and you're like this. No, he's saying, oh, my beloved is singing. And he sings over us and we sing to him. And I want to challenge you to sing. And it is C.S. Lewis who said this. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is incomplete till it is expressed. You love God. Your love is incomplete till it is expressed. You have a faith in God. That trust is incomplete till it is expressed. Those who are in love... Those who are in awe will sing. Do you think those million people who just crossed through the dry ground of the bottom of the Red Sea, when, they, when Moses says, let's sing, you think they started saying, 
Koi, you know, how long are we gonna sing? You know, like, where are we gonna eat next? How long are we gonna sing? Can we wrap this up? Are we singing that again? That's so repetitive. Do we have to sing that again? I, that's, do you think so? It's tears, it's joy, it's spontaneous, and they're singing to their God because God deserves all their worship. And you can imagine, he tells them at the end of Deuteronomy, at the end of his life, Moses tells them, and he teaches them a song. Deuteronomy 31, he teaches them a song. He says, help them to learn the song. The next generation, to learn the song, lest they forget. Help them to sing together so they would remember what God has done. You and I all have reasons to sing. Jesus Christ on the cross is the reason to sing, and we now come together in one voice, and we worship him. Let's do this every Sunday. Let's do this every day. Let's do this every moment of our lives. Let's make God my strength, my song, and my salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we sing to you because you are worthy. God, we cherish singing to you because you are great. We cannot write enough songs to sing to you about you. And God, when we put our voices together and we sing, God, we are moved, we are changed, we have courage in you. So God, uh, we thank you for giving us the reason. Jesus Christ, you are the reason for our song. You are the reason for our optimism. You're the reason why we lift our hands and voices to you. We thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of offering as we give. Um, and after you're done giving, join us in singing. And I'm going to lead us with David and the team here in a song after and some prayer. But uh, let's lift this up to the Lord. Let's give with a cheerful heart to the Lord.